We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in another edition of the Good and Plenty podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Goodman, and pleased to be joined by uh, Richmond head coach Chris Mooney of the top 15. I've got you ranked number 15 in the country in the preseason, Chris, Richmond Spiders. How does that sound, first of all? That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. I, uh, you know, we, we feel like we do have a really good team and uh, had not had last year not ended so abruptly. Um, you know, we, we would have been able to see what we were able to do. But, yeah, that's very flattering, and, and hopefully we can live up to that. You, you like the high expectations? Is that – I've always told coaches, like, you really don't want to be ranked that high in the preseason. You want to um, – you really want to overachieve, right? right? I mean, you want to be ranked low and overperform, uh, right. don't you? Well, I would, I would say back in the day, that was definitely the case. You know, the offseason really didn't matter that much. Street and Smiths came out in uh, September, October. But now the offseason is so important or so vital in terms of, you know, what the media is writing, what people are talking about, how they're projecting. Those things are really important because of recruiting and perception. And so I think there's a lot more value to it now, even though deep down as a coach, yeah, you'd rather be unnoticed in the preseason. By the way, before we get on to College Hoop and everything with your team, with the issues, whatever, I, I want to talk about your first place Philadelphia Eagles. The one, two, and one first place Carson Wentz led Philadelphia Eagles. Are you excited? <laughs> More so after Sunday. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, as you know, having a Super Bowl, a recent Super Bowl, really helps things. Probably not having fans really helps things for the birds right now. Uh, but I, I think, you know, that's tough. The tie, <laughs> the tie feels worse than the loss. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> even though that's put them atop of the NFC East. So <laughs> people, people who don't know, you are a huge, huge sports fan. Um, every yeah. sport, right? I mean, every sport we every talk sport. all the time and you'd rather, honestly, I feel like a lot of times you'd rather talk pro sports with me, whether it's, you know, Sixers, Celtics, whether it's Patriots, whatever it is. Yeah, I love sports, and uh, I have two young sons who are 11 and 8, so they get up early on Tuesday morning because they recorded the Monday night game. 
and they try to watch the Monday night game and no one's allowed to tell the score. Oh yeah. So, uh, so we're, we're always watching sports, always trying to be playing sports. That's good. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick story. So my daughter, uh, was not a college sports fan, was not a sports fan period for the first 15 years of her life. All of a sudden something happened. I, I really think it was an interest in she, there were cute guys in hockey and that got her interested as much as anything kid named Jack Hughes, who, who was drafted number one by the devils. Uh, there's a, a kid for Carolina, uh, hurricanes named Andre Svechnikov. So it got her into hockey and thus now she's in everything. So oh. it, it's crazy. The girl who had no interest now sits home with me all day on Sunday and watches NFL games. And my wife doesn't know how to handle it. Okay. Does, it's her world has been turned completely upside down. So I I ordered a Jersey for her. I ordered a Jonathan Taylor, Indianapolis Colts Jersey that came in today. Uh, The only problem was uh, I ordered it extra large. So it's going to end up being my Jersey instead of hers. Um, I got to get hockey jerseys for her anyway. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, So anyway, um, all right, let's, let's go on a little bit to college hoops and and how crazy it is. I've used the word, and I could say it on the podcast, shit show, um, which with regards to scheduling. And, and, and it's nobody's fault, Chris. It's nobody's fault we're in this position. Um, you've got one of the better uh, MTs locked in, multi-team events, where you are going to go to Lexington, Kentucky, and play Kentucky. And there's three other, two, three other teams, Kentucky, Detroit, and I believe now Moorhead State is locked in as well. Yes. How early did you have this, this done? And what were the conversations like as all the protocols came out, travel restrictions, uh, testing, all of that? What's that been like? So it really has been a huge challenge. So scheduling in and of itself is a is a 365 day a year job. And especially for Richmond, um, because we're constantly trying. We need to play as many high major teams as we can. And traditionally, we've played four or five. So getting those games, you're usually compromising your home schedule because it's hard to get those teams to return the games. Uh, then you're, so you're trying to fit in these MTEs, multiple team events. And then you're also trying to have enough home games because, you know, we average uh, close to 7,000 fans a game. Our, our fans want to see us play at home. So trying to make all that work with Christmas break, final schedules, um, and then just kind of preferences for teams or how many games they have. And then you shrink that into about a month's work. That's really challenging. I was really strongly in favor of keeping the date November 10th for this reason, uh, that at November 10th, football will be in about week 11. Yeah. They'll have been going around the country. Uh, baseball will have finished. They'll have been going around the country and you know, it also built in time for if games were postponed or delayed. By shrinking the season, I think we lose make-up date opportunities. Yep. And I understand there are a lot of different people involved in these decisions, uh, but that was my thought. So fast forward, we had the MTE with Kentucky set up. So originally we were going to play two home games against Moorhead and Detroit then go to Kentucky for a single game. So the Gazelle group, who's running the event and Kentucky spoke and they said, why not play the game? The whole tournament at Lexington where we'll play three doubleheaders. So we thought that idea was great. Even Uh, though you lost the home games, Chris, you lost two home home games. games. We lose the home games for sure. 
but we get to play the tw- we get to start on the 25th. Yeah. Uh, we get to lock in and we get to play, uh, you know, three games, including the Kentucky game. And we ha- we had to jump at it. For us, we feel a little bit of peace of mind now because the MTEs are changing so much. And you were so ahead of it. You were ahead of it in some regards, right? In that way, yes. And 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 I'm sure Coach Calipari was the the driving force of it, and he wanted to get it done, and we were able to get it done. So that that part makes us feel like that's the only part we feel ahead on. <laughs> you don't you don't love yeah well everything else the rest of your schedule. I saw you playing West Virginia though, right? Yeah, we signed a deal with West Virginia this week, so that's a great game for us. Um, we're scheduled to return a game at Vanderbilt. We're scheduled to return. We're scheduled to start a series at Cincinnati. Wow. Those two are difficult because the American conference has now said they're going to play a game or two in December. Yeah. One of them is on the date we have with Cincinnati. So that's not Cincinnati backing out of the game. That That's just these things that are going to happen. And so what happens, how, how do the dominoes fall? Everybody's prioritizing their games but you might not you might not be the priority for the other team. Sure. So that's difficult. We also have a great uh, game, not a date yet, with Northern Iowa, which which will we, we feel like would be. We've had a series with them in the past. I think They're Rich Jacobson is probably one of the best in the country, and be a great opportunity. That'll start at Richmond if we can if we can finalize this date. So I, I've I've said this. Well, first of all, let's go to Kentucky. But yeah. but we can play off Kentucky on on my point, which is I've said all along that I think veteran teams are going to have a major advantage this season. It's why I've ranked you 15th. It's why I've ranked, in, in some order, I've got uh, Baylor 1, uh, Villanova 2, Gonzaga 3. They're, they all bring back the core of their team. They're older. They've played together. The younger teams, like Kentucky, uh, haven't been together as much in, in the offseason, right? It started later in the summer. Uh, they haven't built that chemistry. They haven't been able to do – some of the same things uh, in previous summers that you're able to do in terms of full workouts or whatnot. Uh, you feel like you have a major advantage over Kentucky going to, to Lexington. <laughs> you like, you like how I set that up? Yeah. As always, as always. Uh, well, I would say, I would say this, what, what we've talked to our team about is um, certainly won't be a disadvantage, yeah. you know, the, the season, the off season, all those things. And it will be an advantage. Um, you know, not having the scrimmages, you know, as coaches, you know, our, our, I think there's a calendar or a state of mind for our season. And then there's a separate one for the off season. I think those scrimmages or exhibitions are really important. You know, I know for us, we play them, we just play them out, you know, a 20 minute at a time. Um, we sub more liberally, we have more guys play, but that's really a great time. You know, we, we've, we've, done uniforms sometimes we've done them in the evening sometimes when we have a young team just to get used to that um so when you miss those little steps that really is difficult you know we, we have we have a what we think is a really good freshman class who we're not dependent on right at this moment but the steps that they need and the steps that we reinforce with them no. are far different from the things we're talking to our older guys about you know and uh and if you have to rely on those younger guys, now in Kentucky's case, they're going to be exceptionally talented. That's still difficult. That's still a challenge. And so we feel like having played so many games together and you, you know, um, you know, the importance of 
today, October 6th, you know the importance of your workout, your lifting, uh, your academics. You know that. It's built in. You can handle that. With younger guys, it's each step is more difficult. You know, I didn't set it up well enough because what I didn't say is that you're starting five right now. 22, 22, 22, 22, 22 years old. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. I, I looked it up. The The best part of it was, by the way, I looked up, um, I started on Wikipedia and looked up their, their, their birthdays. I did Blake Francis, you know, January 3rd, 1998. Grant Golden, 8-21-1929. That's what it said on the Wikipedia page. How about that? Classic. Absolutely classic. Hilarious. Uh, he does look a little bit older than 22. <laughs> he does. Right. Well, when you hit 90, that's when you really come into your own. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. But I mean, you've got a team that is probably your starting five. Hey, there can't be an older starting five in America. Can there? Three red shirt seniors. Right. Exactly. Now, I wouldn't think so. And, uh, you know, those guys have all they've played a lot of basketball and they've played a lot of basketball together. Um, and so four of those players have a thousand points in college already. And I think Nate KO is maybe in seven or 800. So there's a lot of experience there. You know, there, there've been a lot of um, fun, excited locker rooms, a lot of uh, down and angry locker rooms. And those things just build up, you know, that's because the top of college basketball and Duke and Kentucky have performed so incredibly well with one and dones and guys who were pros you know, you might think there's a shift, yeah. but that's, that's not really the case, you know, for, for the vast majority, it's having experienced guys who are talented, who have an understanding of the rigors of college basketball and can attack. Isn't Villanova the, the prime example of that, Chris? For sure. You know, Villanova and Virginia would be the programs that, that, that I have such a unique interest in because uh, you know, they're certainly recruiting talented guys. Uh, but they're de- they're having their guys come in as very talented players. You can just see their learning curve, yep. you know, and because they're on TV all the time, you can see their learning curve. You can see them improve uh, and you can see just things click, you know, a little bit faster, a little bit faster each and every game. So do you remember the conversation we had at maybe middle of last season, somewhere early to mid last season, and I don't know how we, we got talking about it, but we got talking about how concerned you were about potentially, or I asked you the question. I don't want to put words in your mouth of how concerned you were, but uh, having three guys that were uh, potential, um, you know, transfer guys that, that people could pillage from your program. They were, uh, you know, grad transfers, uh, Blake, Grant, and, and Nick Sherrod, who could all leave and would be, absolutely everybody would go after because these are, like you said, you know, guys that had scored a lot of points, guys that had played a lot of games, guys that had won a lot of games last year. Um, how concerned were you that your program could fall apart in a year that you're playing obviously for last year where you didn't get to see everything kind of, you know, come to fruition, the NCAA tournament, but you were in position, but really this year was a huge year. And to have that uncertainty when, all the big boys could go after these guys. How worried were you? So I would answer it in two parts inside. And as a staff, we were very worried. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
that does go on and that did happen with our guys. And that's very unsettling as a, uh, as a coach, you know, I think a lot of times when the discussion starts with immediate eligibility uh, or when the discussion starts with uh, violations because players were getting paid or they're getting gifts so often in the mainstream media that it goes to, well, they should get paid and the discussion about whether guys are getting paid. Well, that's not what everybody signed up for. So, so to me, you know, that, that was, um, that's disheartening to, to have that happen to players uh, or to a program, like you said, that that's in that position. Um, I would say externally or with our team, I can tell you, we did not address it. We, we didn't have, I didn't have a closed door meeting with any of those guys. We didn't have a team meeting. I didn't challenge anyone or re-recruit anyone, so to speak. Um, and part of that was a feeling I had that, that this was a, a special group. Those are really terrific individual people and players. And I knew that they could taste and feel the same excitement about our program and about this season as, as I did. So uh, while they were recruited pretty actively, um, they, I never felt that anything like that was going to happen. And as they signed up for their summer courses and as we met through zoom and as we talked about uh, the future for them, you know, an in individual phone calls or zooms that, that never, uh, it never felt like to me, that was going to be a threat. I'm sure you still uh, breathed a sigh of relief when they actually came to campus. When you actually saw them each face to face, it was like, okay, we got our team. For sure. And and I have to tell you, you know, I, I, I know you didn't ask me about the rule or how it's supposed to be. And I can understand all sides of the rule from the player's perspective, from administration, from the NCAA. But that's really, a, that's not what college basketball that's not the best of college basketball. Yep. You know, peace Agreed. Yeah, the peace poaching. No, right. the, po- the poaching is, is horrible. And it's right. only going to get worse, Chris. We know the one-time transfer waiver rule is going to go into effect here for yes. next year. And, yep. and I still say, hey, everybody, NCAA should just give everybody um, this year, anybody who transferred, whatever, with everything that's gone on in this world, let everybody – I mean, they're letting most of them play anyway. You know, there's a handful so far that have been denied. And really, it's because the previous school didn't support it, which is it just makes no sense because, again, everybody's taking advantage of the rule. Uh, we know that. So if you're the NCAA this year, you know it's going into effect next year anyway. Just sign off and let everybody have the one-time transfer waiver right now. Yeah, you know, it's what's interesting, Jeff, is I have been a, a college coach uh, for 20 years. I have no idea how the transfer waiver process works. I have no idea who's in charge of it. I have no idea if it's one committee or a separate committee for each time. I have no idea about the previous school supporting. Right. And, and I, and I say that to say that that's how cloudy it is. Yep. That's right. Uh, and, and so, you know, there seems to be, um, you know, if, if the, uh, a dictionary seems to be needed because if the exception happens more than the rule, I think that I think those terms ought to be reversed. And so, and I don't pay too much attention to it, but but that's the truth. I have no idea how it works, and I think that makes it that makes it unsettling and unclear for for everyone. 
Um, and, I, and I don't know. I don't know how to react when I see this guy is el- has gotten eligible. This guy, ha- I, don't, I don't even know how to react because I don't know if it's the same committee or they're applying the same exact logic. It's like different buckets it's got to fall under, I was told, right. you know, certain things. And, and one of them, the interesting part, one of them was never coaching change, you know, which I thought makes probably the most sense of all of them, right? I mean, you know, you coach gets fired, you should be able to allow, you know, allowed to go elsewhere and, and play right away. That's not one of them. Uh, but anyway, we, we could spend, honestly, 45 minutes just on trying to figure out uh, exactly what goes in, what entails uh, – for the one-time transfer waiver, right? Somebody, I don't remember which coach it was, but they brought up a good point with the one-time transfer waiver when it goes in. Why not have it where you can't do it after your freshman year? That you have to stick it out at least one year, and then you get it. You get your one-time transfer waiver anytime after uh, you stick it out for, for more than one year. So you could transfer after your sophomore year, junior year, uh, and then you get it. Not bad. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I think the hard part, um, a hard part for from the coaching side of things is, and, and the coaches have helped to create, well, recruiting has helped to create this uh, lack of immediate success or the tension when there's no immediate success. And so because the recruiting is so intense at every level, uh, you know, even a coach who doesn't want to promise playing time or promise certain things, you know, well, if you miss on your first three or four guys and you really need a big guy, well, then you might stretch a little bit of what you're, what you, what seems to be a promise. And when that, that can't come true very often, it really cannot come true because the player is not ready at 18 or 19 to compete at the level he hopes to compete at on a successful team. Yep. So I think that because the recruiting is so intense and then naturally a freshman doesn't have as much success, he feels like, well, the, the, everything around him is now not good enough. Yep. The strength training, the coaching, the philosophy, every, there's not enough freedom, all those things. And, you know, the one thing that I would say is that that's a hard one to get out of because oftentimes, especially the players at, at, division one level or the mid to upper division one level, they're making the decision based on six to 18 months of recruiting. They make a transfer decision in about three to four weeks. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Yeah. while they know more about college basketball, right. they probably know more about, uh, they know more about the year that they were unhappy with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's difficult. And I, you know, legislating what a kid should do is really tricky. Um, so I think, you know, I think there needs to be a lot of discussion about it, but I feel like that mistake is made, made over and over again. Can the Guinness Book of World Records give 2020 world's greatest delay of game? Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people, and they do it fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which is shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. 
With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a, a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and they'll see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash good. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash good. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Do you worry about mid-major college basketball when this rule comes in? Some people are worried. Other mid-major guys that I've talked to have said, you know what? We'll be okay. Whoever transfers out of whether it's Richmond, we'll get we'll get the guy to transfer back down from the highest level. Do you worry or no? In a general uh, I don't think it's as good for basket for college basketball. And again, you know, people always say, well, a coach is allowed to change jobs. And I can tell you, I bet most coaches, if you could change jobs and not have to coach that season, <laughs> I think most coaches cool. would take that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> be, get a, get a one year reprieve. Yeah, exactly. One year, <laughs> just take benefits. Um, no. So uh, yeah, I, I worry about, I, I just, you know, to get really good as a team and to get that, that's where it, it, it will affect mid-majors more because even, even if the talent that's substituted, you know, you lose somebody, a new guy comes in who's just as talented. He's down a year and what you try to do, what you emphasize, what you think is important culturally, you're, you're taking it. So that's where I think, you know, whereas the high majors, that level of talent that they can consistently attract can make up for some of those things. Yep. Uh, one more before we go on to something else. Uh, so it looks like uh, winter sports are going to get their year back at this point. They're going to get right. an additional year. It looks that way. It's not done yet, but it's probably going to go to the, the D1 council next week. And everybody expects maybe it won't happen next week. It might be a little bit further off, but that they'll have to do it because they did it for the other, you know, the other sports, the other seasons. Um, if that happens, how do you go about this? Because now, again, are you going to have five 23 year olds a year from now? Probably not. Yeah, I know you want to do it. Of course, you could be the oldest team in, in college basketball history. Um, probably not going to happen. You've got to fill a bunch of, of spots now. But what if a couple of those guys said, hey, we want to come back and you've already signed five guys to replace that starting five? How do you go about it at a place like Richmond? You know, I, I, well, my first question would be, would you be allowed to carry more than 13 scholarship guys? I guess you'd have to be, right? If, if financially, you could, right? You know, that right, would be the thing right. for your institution, whether you could do it. Yeah, um, that's that's a tall order. And, and I can tell you that, you know, naturally for us, it wouldn't be all five guys. It might might be zero of them. Yeah. Um, but let's say. They've had enough of you. Let's, let's be honest. No, they they will have had enough of you at, at 23. Him. I can't blame uh, you know, we have this exceptional player, Jacob Gilliard, who, who might be the player of the Atlantic 10. And I always tell him how honest I am, as demonstrated by when we recruited him. I told him I can't teach him that much. You know, he has elite instincts and a, an incredible player. And I say now through three and a half years that I've held my promise, I have not taught him much of anything. So. <laughs> pretty, pretty kind uh, of you. Yeah, <laughs> that, that'll be really tricky. And that'll obviously add to the transfer pool in future years um you know I I feel like for me having been at a place going into my 16th year we could handle that 
more easily because yeah, there's open communication, the the talking, the sure. But it would be it would be that much trickier the newer you are. You know, by and large, the guys you want to stay leave, and the guys you want to leave. No doubt. No question. You don't keep them long enough. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's going to be tricky for, for some of the smaller schools. Can they afford it? Right. And then what are you doing with the, the, the freshmen that are coming in? Are you telling them, Hey, we can't take you. You got to go to prep school or, you know, it's just, it's going to create more chaos, which again, listen, we've all got to adapt. Yeah. Nothing's going to be perfect over the next, not, not just this year, Sure. but it's, it, everything that's gone on and is going on is going to, affect college basketball and all sports, you know, for a couple of years at this point. So I, I think the key word here this year is, is, is just kind of adapt, be willing to adapt. I, I think if we could all get, if you could play 20 games this year, Chris, yeah, wouldn't you, wouldn't you kind of sign on the dotted line today if you could get 20 games in? Yeah, I think so. I, I think if we have, yeah, I, I, you know, um, baseball started out and there were hiccups with the Marlins and then the Cardinals, right? Um, but then the things went along and, and there were further things that happened, but you know, baseball is used to making up games because of rain, right. you know, when they lose one game, they actually lose three because of a series. My point being that uh, the, the Patriots chiefs game was delayed a day. That is not as disruptive as, as you might've thought yeah. prior to this. So, yeah. So if we have two games that are postponed and we can only make up one of those and we lose a game that month, Okay, that happens. I think if we can get through the season and be playing in the NCAA tournament or have the NCAA tournament, then I think it's extremely successful. Yeah, no, I do too. I do too. Um, can you take me back to to a few years ago? Um, you had you had two seasons where you won twelve games and thirteen games back to back. You had some injuries, but people don't care. Let's face it, fans don't care about the injuries and everything like that. They just want results, and you had you had elevated the program to a level where I think the expectations were high enough that those were two years that let's face it. There were people calling for you to be gone. Sure. Right. I mean, there was a website. Wasn't there a fire Chris Mooney website or something out there? I've been told. That's what I've been told. My dad (laughs) said he had nothing to do with it. (laughs) How, how hard is it though? Like your kids are young. So, you know, they're, they're really young at that point. I don't know if they even comprehend kind of what's going on with dad and, and, and that you're not winning games and what, what that means for, for life. And, and, but how are you dealing with it? I guess from an emotional standpoint, as much as anything. Sure. Well, number one, I mean, uh, if you're a division one head coach, there's pressure period. Uh, that's at, that's at every level. There is a lot of interest. The, uh, the commitment by the school and the community is really high. Uh, for most for most schools like this, it's the highest commitment that the school has, sure. and, and therefore the school community. So it's inherent that there's pressure. Uh, having uh, losing seasons is difficult to go through with your team, your staff, everything. Difficult for the staff to go through with the head coach uh, in every way. And so, but the hardest part was my young boys. You know, college basketball is huge in Richmond. Uh, we have VCU in Richmond and we're right in the middle of uh, ACC country, uh, Virginia, Virginia tech are great. So, so that was really hard. You know, they're at school. They're always talking about who's better. And, you know, my boys love the spiders. They know each guy, they have them over uh, at our house and hang out and play video games with them. They love the spiders. They love their dad. So 
that was really the hardest part is just having them in real time go, you know, go through something that hurts their dad, hurts their mom, makes people upset. Uh, You know, kids aren't as careful probably with how they joke about the spiders with them at school naturally. At that age. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a difficult part. Um, You know, for our boys who were extremely lucky and have a, a nice life so far, it was probably something challenging that maybe was good for them because they got to see how I dealt with it. They got to see that, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, I didn't uh, curse out the people on the website or, uh, you know, that I kept my chin up, that we went to work every day, that we recognized that we weren't doing well enough. We recognized that we needed to get guys to, to get better. We needed to work harder. And so I think having them see that, um, that, you know, it affected us, but that we got up the next day and, and like I said, held our chin up, went to work. Um, I think that was really important for them to see. Uh, and so, you know, they don't have, they haven't had as much, uh, they haven't had as many challenges in their young lives. So to see that and be part of that, I think was probably good for them. So with this year's team, how, how good can you be? I mean, honestly, th- this is a group that, again, like you said, the, the good part is they went through some of those challenges, right? They, they have that taste in their mouth that they don't want to uh, feel again, right? I mean, they went through it. Now they've, they've experienced some winning last year. Um, the trajectory certainly uh, moves upward this year, and the expectations are extremely high, thanks to partially people like me. Um, but but how do you how do you get this team to where – they can be a, a sweet 16 team like the one you had, you know, eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could be really good, you know, I mean, we could be really, really good. And I, I think we probably have, uh, you know, a number of guys who could compete for player of the year in our league. And, and I think three guys were all Atlantic 10 last year. I mean, you know, it, it just so happens from, this is red shirting one transfer, that we have the, 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 they're in the right positions, yeah. you know, two guards, two forwards and, and a legitimate big, big guy. You couldn't have planned this out better. No, you right? couldn't have planned this. No, no, you, you, you could not have planned this. And what Blake Francis brought to us was a real grit and toughness. Yeah. Uh, and he's really on the edge competitively, exactly what we needed. Um, Grant Golden is, uh, is a tremendous player. Uh, tremendous player. Nick Sherrod is the all-time leading scorer in the state of Virginia high school. Jacob Gilliard is an incredible player. So, so we could be really, really good. I, you know, for us, what we've tried to do with our guys is, is we don't want to have our best practice of the year today. Our freshmen need to think that this practice is, has to be good or they're going home. That urgency needs to be built up in those guys. For older guys, they need to be steady. And what I've just tried to tell them is we'll, we'll have a good day today if you're competitive, if you're simply competitive. You know how to play. You know you, you're going to make shots. You're going to do these things well. If you're simply competitive, that'll make it a good day for everybody. Uh, so our, our workouts aren't extremely long. Uh, you're like and- an NBA. You're like an NBA coach this year is what you're trying to tell me. That- <laughs> You're like Doc Rivers with, with, with a little bit of a, a country club mentality here. <laughs> well, there, there really is some of that. You know, I think that if, you know, I was ranting and raving for the past month, well, then that, that's not going to do anybody any good. And so 
Uh, and that's not to overlook any day, but just asking for them to be competitive. You know, their habits are so good. Their, um, their understanding of what we're doing is so good. So just competitiveness and some energy and, and we'll be all right. So, but I think once we get going, you know, we have, we, we, we were vastly improved defensively last year. We're a pretty good defensive team. We're a very good offensive team. Uh, so we have a chance to be really good and we're going to embrace even a crazy prediction like yourself. We're going to embrace that and, and shoot for everything we can. I, I don't think it's crazy. Um, can, can I, can I get you to, to go a little bit deeper into like, what's the key for like, does something need to happen for this team? Maybe somebody take a jump. Maybe you need somebody coming off the bench. Cause again, those five guys, you're, you're pretty, but, but maybe you, you've seen something already where somebody's made a big jump from uh, last year. So we have a guy, Tyler Burton, who's uh, I think has a chance to be one of the best players in Richmond history. Wow. Uh, Mass rivals guy up, up there where you are. Yep. Um, a six, seven, uh, perfect long basketball body can do a little bit of everything. Very athletic, a very good rebounder. Um, he can shoot threes. He's really, really good, a special player. And, you know, there are many of, uh, if we've had over a hundred years of basketball, there are 50 of those years, he'd be the best player on our team as a sophomore. Wow. That's crazy. And, yeah. And here he is as the sixth man. So I, I think that, you know, Tyler's improvement, uh, you know, puts us in an even better place, you know, and, and we actually, you know, Jacob Gilliard plays about 37 minutes per game, but otherwise our minutes weren't Crazy. incredibly lopsided. Um, and so I think the more Tyler can be on the floor, that that's just another weapon, another guy really helping us. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. NFL futures, Kansas City Chiefs struggled a little bit with the Patriots, but plus 350. Ravens and Lamar Jackson, plus 600. Russell Wilson having an MVP type year, plus 800 with the Seahawks. The Packers, plus 850. Tampa Bay, plus 1200. And the Patriots, plus 3500. Bet Online going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering to win uh, division and championship futures. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Um, what, what are the protocols now as you see them? I mean, this is another thing we haven't talked about, but I think is so uh, interesting to try to figure out every school, every state yeah. is different, right? You've got this recommendation by the NCAA, the 14 day quarantine. Um, I don't know. Again, I haven't, I don't even understand all of it. If somebody tests positive, does that mean your whole team has to, cause again, with basketball, let's face it. All your guys are close to all your guys, right? Sure. sure so, yeah. Exactly. So what have you been told? by your school, by your program, by your state right now, what, if somebody tests positive during the season, what happens, Chris? So, yeah, I think that is the one that's probably going to be further and further um, made more black and white. Right. And so, you know, the game changer, and I think you and I had texted about it a couple months ago, 
is this rapid testing, these rapid results. And yep. if you can start to do that three times a week or every day, that, that really is a game changer because then you can, even on a basketball team, start to limit the contact tracing and, and what that means. Um, but yeah, what we've been, to, you know, right now we're doing testing weekly uh, where about a quarter or half the team is tested and randomized. And we go up there and, and test where if somebody had gone home, they were probably automatically picked to do the testing. So that's how we're going about it now. And we're in discussions with a, a group to come in and do our rapid testing that hopefully will be available in the middle of October, end of October. Once that's in place, then I think the, the question becomes, okay, can you test out of quarantine? Right. Let's say you didn't ever have it. Say you have no positive tests, but you've contact traced to somebody who did. Can you test out of the quarantine? And I think that's a legitimate question. Or is it two tests? Yeah. Is it, you know, five days? Right. And yeah. so to me, I think that's going to be a really important where, where the rule comes down, ruling comes down on that. Because if that can happen, you know, basketball teams are deep enough to play games. Nobody's going to feel like they're deep enough to, to win every game, but you're deep enough to play games. And so if that happens, then I think you have a smoother or better chance to play a greater majority of the games. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I'm going to leave you on this one. So I, I've tried, and, and I'm going to do it at some point, of coming up with like the most impressive accomplishments in college basketball, maybe since I started covering it in history, whatever. And, and I was arguing with a couple of guys who play my softball team last week that Brad Stevens going back to back to the, to the title game has to be on there. Like ridiculous. Cause people here want him fired from the Celtics. Like it, it, it's insane. These people are morons and I hope they watch my podcast. They probably don't, but um, they're morons. I mean, like what he's done, I, I get it this year. They didn't, they didn't end up beating Miami. Miami was a pretty good team and they didn't have a healthy Gordon Hayward anyway, but whatever. All right. Let, let, I'm getting off topic. So one of the things that I don't, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. But if I'm putting a greatest accomplishments in college basketball history, I think you were a part of one of them. I know you're scratching your head now. Oh, oh well, Air Force? Yeah, 2004. Sorry. Yeah. You're, you're on the staff, Joe Scott's staff at Air Force, Air Force, which might be, I mean, honestly, when you talk about most difficult jobs in college basketball, sure. Chris, what's harder than Air Force in the Mountain West? Oh, uh, there is none. I mean, right. that is the hardest job. Yeah. I mean, we would, yes, you have academic standard, academic admission standards. Yep. Um, you have the military that's sometimes is not the most appealing to basketball players. And in you're, in a, and you're in a good league, right? League, yeah. It's yeah, not like right. to me, right. Like no disrespect, you know, army or Navy in the, in sure. the Patriot league, the, the right. difference between those and BU isn't what it is between uh, New Mexico right. or UNLV or BYU in, yeah. in Air Force. I mean, I, honestly, you, you guys won the league. You went to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So ridiculous. Like, what, what's it like coaching at Air Force that year? What was that like? Yeah, so it was incredible. And uh, one of my assistants, Marcus Jenkins was on the team and I still have a lot of air force uh, things around, but so we, we knew we were going to be good. So it was our fourth season. We knew we were vastly improved and going to be good. The previous year we went three and 11 in the mountain West, which also included Utah at the time. Okay. 
Um, and so we knew we were going to be good. And we were on a foreign trip that had to get okayed by Congress because we missed the first two days of class. That's true. Wow. We were on a foreign trip and the schedule from the Mountain West came out. And it was at Colorado State, at New Mexico, home to BYU in Utah, at UNLV, at San Diego State. Oh. So we, we really thought like we, we had just, you know, drilled a, a European team in Denmark. We were feeling so great. And we're just staring at 0-6, you know, with a, with a good team, with a legitimately good team. Four but away. going to be an underdog in every game. We're going to be an underdog, a significant underdog in every game. And your home games are BYU and Utah, who, who were at-large teams, or they were not uh, NCAA teams that year. And so um, it was just – it was magical. We, we, uh, we beat Cal at Cal, um, and that really kind of was our – was probably a start to say, like, hey, this – we could really be good. And we, we finished that stretch five and one and had three home games and won all three and were eight and one and were nationally ranked. And uh, it was, it was really magical. I mean, uh, we went from probably having a one third full gym at Clune arena to being sold out and having people at the game an hour and a half beforehand. It, it was, it was like, it was, it was an incredible, incredible, we, we, we won at New Mexico and we came home and I can remember, we were like 17 and three. And it was just like, we had just beaten New Mexico by 26 or something. It was just surreal. Um, and, you know, I, I've often said this, only Joe Scott could have done it. Uh, and only the guys on that team would have been able to stick with it and get to that point. So yeah, you, you probably didn't think jumping on this podcast, we'd be t- talking about the 2004 Air Force team, did you? <laughs> It's a great topic. It's a great. It topic. really is. I mean, honestly, I, I've wanted to do that column for a while, and it takes a lot of research, right? I mean, because sure. you're you're talking about things that, that that you know not not the easy ones. Again, nobody's going to think that way about Air Force. Like when you tell them top ten accomplishments in college, maybe maybe that one's like top ten, you know, uh, underwhelming. Like I don't know, overlooked, overlooked right, accomplishment. Right, right, right. That that probably is where that fits, but. Um, Listen, I appreciate you jumping on. We 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 ran the gamut. Yeah, for you know, sure. Eagles to Air Force with a <laughs> lot in between, right? No doubt, no doubt. I appreciate having me on. No, appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. Uh, enjoy your time with your with your players and your family, and uh, make sure your kids. Uh, you know, hopefully the Eagles will be at least more entertaining. At least yeah. Carson Wentz can get going, and I don't know. They've been tough to watch. It has been. It hasn't been easy. He's been running. He's doing a lot of running around back there. Carson. He's doing a lot of running around. He's he's got those those happy feet going. That's for sure. So, all right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks again, man. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Thank you.